welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse number 25, and so glad for everyone that is here. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. I also want uh, to let you know, uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, which is the 10th. Sunday, the, well, it is this, no. This next Sunday is the 10th. What is the next Wednesday? The 13th. Starting the 13th. Amen. We're going to be in a a two-week revival with Brother Danny Aber is going to be with us for two weeks in revival. And I'm excited about this. Now, there's there's more than one reason for this. Uh, The number one reason is um, I really have felt this for quite some time to have Brother Aber come be with us. If you know anything about Brother Aber and his ministry, it's about making disciples. It's, It's about stirring up the gift of evangelism within the church. And I've talked with him earlier throughout the year, and um, excuse me. And then into the late spring, we were trying to collaborate uh, dates, and this is where it coincides with the other reason. Um, beginning that week, uh, my family and I are going to be going on vacation, and so it's just going to coordinate in with this. And that um, there's probably going to be some discipleship stuff going on, uh, maybe some outreach endeavors that are going to be going on with Brother Aber. Uh, I told him, I said, man, it's, it's your ball, it's your bat. Do with it what you want to do in those two weeks, whatever you feel led to do. So there may be some coordinated outreaches. There may be some coordinated prayer outside of Thursday night. And so uh, just be paying attention to that. We are so excited to have Brother Aber. And, and it just a phenomenal, more than just a phenomenal preacher. They were missionaries to Guyana. Um, they have just been mightily used of God everywhere they go. So it's not that, oh, he's just, you know, filling in. Uh, we got great ministers in our campuses that can feel, do more than a capable job of preaching. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the timing of God and what God wants to do and stirring up that gift of evangelism and discipleship as is being attested by so many in our different, in, in our churches that are coming to me and saying, Pastor, I'm being stirred up about evangelism and it's just uh, coming together and being coordinated. So uh, be, be a part of that. Be getting ready to invite somebody to the house of the Lord during that revival. Amen. Praise God. Verse 25 of chapter 10 in the book of Luke. Amen. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. This is Jesus uh, that he's trying to tempt, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal? Notice he didn't say, and he questioned him. You know, he, he wasn't even interested in it. A certain lawyer stood up and tempted. It's the same word tempted where it says that the Lord was led up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Amen. So is there an equation between lawyers and devils? I I don't know, but I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, If it was said politicians, then yes, but I'm just kidding. But it said he stood up to tempt him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It lets me know that he really wasn't interested in eternal life. He was interested in trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a theological uh, bind there. Verse 26, he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, look at this last part, and thy neighbor as thyself. You know, we would cure all kinds of problems if we just love people the way we love ourselves. And then some people, that is their problem. They don't love themselves, so they don't love anybody. But if we would pick up on this and we would treat people the way we want to be treated, man, we would cure all kind of inequalities and everything if we just love one another. Amen. I know it's super cheesy, but it's still in the Bible. Amen. Uh, Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, A certain man, oh, he's about to get them now. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves 
which was which stripped him of his raiment that is his clothes and wounded him and departing departed leaving him half dead look at somebody say he was half dead my mom always used to say that scared me half to death anybody else have anybody in your family say that scared me half to death thought well what happens if you get scared half to death twice amen left him half dead and by chance there came down a certain priest. Now listen, I, I believe anytime Jesus is telling a story and he says, and a certain, I, I believe it's a true story. I don't believe he's speaking in parabolic form. I, I believe he's identifying that this situation had happened somewhere. And he said, and a uh, certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. When he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he sojourned, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him in and in brought him to an end and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he looked, he took out two pence and gave it to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of, thee, of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. So Jesus was saying, This is a way to inherit eternal life. Have mercy on them. I want to preach from one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. And I want to preach simply on the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Let's pray together right now. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church family. I thank you for the presence of God that we can feel in this place, the strength and the comfort, the security that we feel knowing that your presence is here and your mercy and grace is available to us. Lord, I pray that you would open our understanding in this house this afternoon. Would you touch my mouth to speak your word? Would you touch us to hear, receive, respond, and become what you are calling us to be through your word? In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Would you just give the Lord another offering of praise and thanksgiving? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. You can be seated. Amen. Look at somebody beside you and tell them, uh, we need to be good Samaritans. Amen. I really pray that this afternoon that the simplicity of this particular story will not, will not catch us off guard because the Bible says that, that he uses the simple things to confound the wise. And I have learned a long time ago to not write off something as I already know all that, but to hold on to it and say, God has something for me in that particular word. I have been in Sunday school settings, and God speak to me in a strong way. Amen. So the lawyer who asked Jesus this question was a part of a group who were the official theologians of their time. Their work was related to the law of Moses in, in, in the everyday life of the Jewish people. And this lawyer attempts to stump Jesus. Amen. Y'all can look right this way. We got it handled. Amen. He tried to stump Jesus. And he tried to, uh, tried to come and do an end around and try to confuse Jesus and try to, to denigrate the position of Christ in the kingdom that he was trying to establish. This lawyer had one goal, and that goal was simply this. I think what I'm going to do is I am going to, I'm going to take this man down a notch. Everybody looks at him to be a man of wisdom. Everybody looks to him to be the Messiah. But if I can confound him in the law, then I can show everyone 
one that he is quite possibly not who he says he is. But as he attempts to stump Jesus with all the questions uh, that he had, the one he came to was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Although that this may not have been the intent of his question and his motive may have been to do an end around, amen, I do believe that that was, amen, a slip of truth that came out of him because he truly wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. As often was his custom, Jesus answered the question with a question. When you have somebody answer a question with a question, you know typically they're smarter than you are. Right, when they ask, uh, answer a question with a question, that, that means I'm playing checkers, they're playing chess. Amen. And, and so he asks, uh, answers it with a question, and he basically says, well, you're a lawyer, what does the law say? You're a lawyer, tell me what you know about the law. And, and what does the law mean to you? He didn't just ask him, what does the law say? He said, what does the law mean to you also? Uh, you see, the lawyer had the right doctrine but he had the wrong spirit. You can have the right revelation and we can still have a wrong spirit. Amen. He, he knew that the law said to love God. And he also knew that the law said to love his neighbor. But he wanted to narrow, Jesus wanted to narrow down the definition of what a neighbor meant. Because, see, the lawyer didn't want his lifestyle challenged. He was a scholar. He had it all together. The Jews only counted fellow Jews as neighbors, and they counted everyone else as dogs. So Jesus gives, the moral of, uh, uh, gives us the moral of the parable when he tells us to do good to anyone in need. And let me just stop and say, if that's all that we were going to talk about today, it's still important that we do good to those that are in need. That's still a good thing to do, amen, not just as a human, but as a believer. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one toward another. But he also packs the parable with divine thoughts to convey several lessons, amen, and not just merely one moral one. I'm going to try to uh, hit, and don't let the number scare you because it shouldn't take that long, but I want to give you 16 points of morality and understanding within the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the first one is found where he said, and a certain man went down. Everybody say went down. Ge geographically, one always went up to Jerusalem and went down to Jericho. You went up to Jerusalem, down to Jericho. It was a distance of 17 miles between, between the two cities. Jerusalem was the place of blessing. Jericho, according to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, it said that, Josh, that, that, that Jericho was a cursed city. So 17 miles away from the blessed city was the cursed city. So you go up to the blessing and you go down to the cursing. Look how Jesus just flips everything around, and he says, if you want to go up, go down. If you want to get, then you give. If you want to save your life, lose it. So the traveler symbolizes any person walking away from the purpose of God in their life. Just like Jonah went down to Tarshish and he fled from the will of God and he fled from the presence of God. But Jonah 1 lets us know he did not escape God. The will of God would have been go up, go up unto Nineveh, but he went on a boat and went down to Tarsus, amen. The second point was is that he fell among thieves, amen. We're not certain from the context of this whether this means that the man took up with bad companions who eventually turned on him, which is an ancient tactic of, of thievery, is uh, you got to be careful in foreign countries with people who want to be your friend. And you can judge me any way you want to, but when I'm in a foreign country and I'm in a public market, I'm, I'm not looking for friends, because what that person is trying to do is to get you to a certain part of the market to buy stuff where they can rip you off or get you around the corner of it because he knows somebody just around the corner 
and they'll be there waiting for you. So, so we don't know if that was the situation where he took up with bad companions who eventually turned on him or whether he was just simply traveling on the road and he was robbed by strangers. Whether we intend to sin or we fall prey to temptation, sin is a thief and it is a robber that is eventually going to turn on every one of us. We must understand that that's what sin's intention is to do, is to take from us the joy of life and the peace of God and the salvation of God to separate us from our communication and our and our communion with God amen the third thing is he was stripped of his clothing he was stripped of his raiment I want you to know something Satan has always desired to strip mankind from the garments of salvation and righteousness and praise Satan's intention has always been to try and and rob the garments from the children of God. Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul. Uh, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. You see, that's what Satan is after. He is after the robe of righteousness, the clothing of salvation that God has put on you. He wants the ornaments, amen, of salvation that God has put on your life. He is a thief. Just like a thief is attracted to a Rolex on a crowded street. Just like a thief is attracted amen, to expensive jewelry in a market. So Satan is attracted to the salvation and the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah 61 and 3 says, to appoint unto them that morning Zion to give them beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified I want you to know traveling between here and Jerusalem between Jericho and Jerusalem between this earth and heaven there are thieves that are lingering that want to take your salvation they want to take your purpose they want to take your joy and your praise but you got to make up in your mind right now amen God didn't give me this garment for me to be loose with it I'm going to wear my praise I'm going to keep my joy I'm going to hold on to my salvation amen amen number four because I got to move quickly here number four it says and they wounded him they wounded him I want you to know something Satan and his demonic thieves their intention is to inflict great wounds on mankind by the treachery of violence, immorality, and addictions. Satan intends nothing good for you. This world intends nothing good for you. Our own carnal nature that is against God intends nothing good for us. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6 says, From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and uh, putrefying sores. They have not been cleansed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. In other words, what he is saying is sin is going to cover you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet with wounds and bruises and cuts, with festering infective sores. Amen. But I'm glad, amen, that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Amen. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, For the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. The old song we used to sing said, God save me, why shall I be bound? God save me, why shall I be bound? Amen. When I got set free, I was set free from the bondage of sin. I was set free from the bondage of addictions. I was set free, amen, from being tormented and obsessed with the cares of this life and everybody else. But when Jesus set me free, amen, he put my feet on a rock to stay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Number five, and and again, I've got to move through this quickly. I I told you I have 16 points of this parable. Amen. Uh, Number five says, and departed, leaving him half dead. Every person who has not experienced biblical salvation is half dead. 
because only the outer part of them, that is the mind and the body, is alive. But their spirit is dead. Their spirit is alienated from God because of sin. And unless we make a choice to change it, this is going to be the eternal condition of a soul is to live an eternal death. Amen. Uh, their spirit is dead, but since their spirit is dead, the soul and the mind is now in charge. The flesh is in charge now. They're led by their intellect. They're led by their will, led by their emotions. And such a person cannot understand spiritual concepts because the spiritual understanding is foreign to them. Because their body becomes merely a tool for acting out their lust and their passions. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. First Timothy 5 and 6, Paul says it like this. Amen. It says, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead a while she liveth. Amen. We've got to understand that when we live in sin, we are half dead. Amen. Our bodies may be alive. Our minds may be alive, but the spirit is dead. This is why we must be born again of the water and of the spirit because in the kingdom of God, there is life. Amen. Number six. Amen. I, I know it's a little different Sunday message. Amen. Number six, there came a certain priest. The priests represented the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. That's why the priest didn't even stop to look at the man. The Old Testament law had no mercy on mankind. When the priest saw the Samaritan the Gentile dog laying on the side of the road, he just walked around him and gave him no look of compassion. Look at what Hebrews, what Paul says about this. Hebrews 10 and 28, Paul says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. James writes in James 2 and 10 and says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of so he said, you can keep the whole law of Moses, but if you break one, every other law comes crashing down on top of you. It's like the Jenga puzzle with only one piece holding up the very bottom and the middle. If you pull that, the whole tower collapses. Amen. If you try to live by the law of Moses, amen, James said, if you mess up in one area, amen, you are doomed to be judged by all of it. Verse, uh, or, or number seven, then it said, Jesus said, and likewise a Levite. Now, a Levite is also a priest, but he is a priest that represented the ceremonial law of God, meaning temple sacrifices and things of that nature. The Levite at least stopped to look at the man. I mean, you got to give it to that Levite priest. At least he stopped and looked at him. He was a little better than the first priest. He stopped looked at him, but then he just kept on walking because the sacrifices only covered sin and never dealt with the issue of sin. So even the Levite couldn't help what was going on. So he looked at him and walked on by. Amen. It couldn't deal with the root cause of sin, but Hebrews 10 and 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should 
take away sin. Hebrews 7 and 19 said, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So the law couldn't remove our sin. It could only cover sin for just a little while. Amen. But the law set us up for a hope where there would be a day that our sin would not be covered or pushed forward, but that our sin could be completely removed from against our charge. Number eight, but a certain Samaritan. Everybody say a certain Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were regarded as outcasts by the Jews. They had no dealings with them, according to John 4 9. Even the woman at the well tells Jesus this. Why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. You, you, you don't have any dealings with us, at least not in any kind way, because they were regarded as half-breeds or a mongrel nation. They didn't want anything to do with them. For Jesus to bring a Samaritan into the story at this point in the parable is a remarkable touch of satire. That was the last thing that that lawyer was expecting to hear was about a Samaritan. But he didn't just do it for satire. He did it to drive that point home even more. That's why I'm preaching to you about the good Samaritan. Even when the religious leaders wanted to insult Jesus, this is how they referred to him. The good Samaritan is not only a type of the church, but that good Samaritan, amen, is a type of Jesus. Because in John 8 and 48, the Bible said, Then he answered the Jews and said unto them, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. The Jews looked at Jesus and tried to say, you are a mongrel, half-breed, Gentile, possessed with the devil yourself. Verse, or point number nine, Jesus said, had compassion on him. The Samaritan did not pass by the man, but came to where he was and found him in a helpless state. The Bible tells us, first of all, that Jesus was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he would have compassion on them. And one story in the gospel says that when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion and he healed all of their sick. Number 10 and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Where Satan and sin have inflicted great wounds on the individual lives, Jesus wants to heal people spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, where Satan has desire to tear them down and to wound them and to destroy them. The desire of Jesus is to lift them and to put them back together again. The Bible says the Samaritan bound the man's bound up the man's wounds and bruises. Bruises are the eternal wounds, pouring in oil and wine. These are types of both the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. The wine, symbolic of the blood of Jesus. The oil, symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And when he was in his most broken state, the Bible said the good Samaritan poured on not only the wine but the oil. I want you to know the only cure there is for sin. The only cure for a broken life is the oil of the anointing of God and the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life. It was prophesied through Isaiah in Isaiah 61 and 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And he hath set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Amen. Jesus didn't save us for us to remain in a broken state. He didn't save us to live with the infectious wounds 
in our life. He didn't save us to only have eternal bruises within us that restrict our movement. But when Jesus showed up, the very first sermon he preached in the temple was out of Isaiah 61 when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to open the blinded eyes. He's anointed me to set those that are free, set those that are captive free. He has sent me and anointed me to liberate the bruise. Amen. Point 11 says, it set him on his own beast because the wounded man was too weak to walk on his own and probably had no consciousness at all. The good Samaritan reached down and lifted him up from where he was. One of my favorite old songs says, when the Savior reached down for me, he had to reach way down for me. I was lost and undone without God's only son when the Savior reached down for me. I am so glad, amen, that Jesus reached down when he found me in my broken state of sin and he scooped me up off the ground. Amen. I'm so glad that the blood of Jesus lifts us. I'm so glad that the mercy of Christ lifts us from where we are. You see, Jesus loves you right where you are, but he loves loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you in your broken condition. He loves you in your sinful condition, but he loves you too much to leave you beside the road. Oh, let's lift our hands to the Lord for a moment. Let's give him thanks for that right now. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the presence of God in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Thank him for that mercy right now. Aren't you glad for it? Aren't you glad for that? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift him, didn't just leave him there broken, but lifted him, lifted him from off of the ground. Didn't, didn't just leave him. You see, this is where so many people miss it. They think, well, I've got the oil, I've got the wine, I've got the spirit, I've got the anointing. I must know you're still broken. You're still undone. Your wounds are still exposed. That's why Jesus doesn't want to leave you on the side of the road broken. He wants to lift you from where you are. Amen. The work of salvation is not done with the wine and the oil. The work of salvation continues on. The work of salvation is the lifting. The work of salvation is the continuation. Jesus didn't leave him on the side. I'm so glad he didn't leave me there. I'm so glad he didn't stop with just mercy and forgiveness. I'm so glad he didn't just stop with the wine and the oil. But I'm so glad he lifted me up. Hallelujah. Not only did the good Samaritan lift him up, but he put him on his own beast. Amen. We don't know if it was a horse or a donkey or a camel. That's irrespective of this point of what kind of animal it was. Amen. He picked him up and put him on his own ride. In other words, the Samaritan said, I got a long journey ahead and I need to save my energy myself, but it doesn't matter. This one has more need than I do. And he lifts him up and he puts him on his own beast beast of burden and that beast carries him. Amen. The beast speaks of being upheld by the strength of another. When we come to the Lord, we are able to depend on his power, not our own power. And we realize when I can't do it myself, he can. Amen. That beast represented the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That said I couldn't do it on my own. I can't walk in my own strength. I can't walk according to my own power, my own ability. And when I can't walk, Amen. The Samaritan put me on the beast of burden and said, you carry it. I've come to preach to somebody today. You don't think you can take another step and you feel like a failure because you've collapsed to the ground like a cheap suit. But I've come to tell you that he has not only lifted you, but he's about to place you on something. You're not going to make it this far on your own strength. You can't make it to the next mountaintop on your own strength. There is a burden, a, a burden that you cannot carry alone. But thank God for that beast of burden that he placed that that man on because the good Samaritan said I can't let him try to do this on his own one of the greatest mistakes we make is we think we're good we think we're good especially men we're, we're, we're mentally deficient in some region of our brain because we don't think we need all that help and I, I remember when I went into the 
the hospital um, a couple of years ago with pancreatitis and all that stuff. And, and uh, I, I, I left a little early because uh, they wanted me to stay another night. If you ever stayed a night in the hospital, it's the most expensive, uncomfortable hotel you're ever going to stay in in your life. Amen. I wish they'd catch up to these Nordic countries. They've been doing studies the last 10 years and say, shockingly, when they let their patients sleep, Brother Chase, they recover uh, uh, 60% faster. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing what they do in the Nordic schools. They score in the top of the world in math, science, and everything else. Their kids only go to school three or four hours a day. Homework's illegal. Some of our teachers went over there and said, how in the world are your students? They only go to school three or four hours a day, and they can't have homework? Why would you do that? And they said, because they're kids. <clears throat> they looked at them and said, you stress your kids out. They got full-time jobs going to school 40 hours a week. And we consistently score among the worst in the developed nations. Well, <clears throat> hey, man, that's not in my notes, but. Amen. The te- they looked at them and said, they should be kids first. <coughs> Amen. We're, we're trying to raise robots. Amen. Amen. That's why they put trying to put kids on pills as soon as they can. To straighten them up. Ah, oh, your kid's broke. Uh, how about the system's broke? <coughs> and, and the healthcare system. Amen. I don't know why I'm off on that. Amen. But. I'm going to tell you when I'm supposed to recover. What they tell you when you're sick? What's the first thing they tell you? Rest. Then you have a part of your body cut out, and they come in every 90 minutes. Got to check your blood pressure. Got to check your fever. I got to check your brow. I got to check between your toes. Is there any lint in your belly button? I need to check everything. And, and it's nonstop. You don't sleep. Hey, man, I, I, last day I was uh, there, said, you got one more night? said, no, I don't. I'm going home. And much to the chagrin of my wife and everybody else, I got up and walked out. Amen. Something mentally, I, you know, when I got home and that pain started really hitting, I thought, man, I really could use that IV right now. <laughs> Whatever they put in it. Amen. But, but because we get up a little too soon, amen, and we try, we try to make it on our own. We try to do it by ourselves. We got to realize sometimes we can't do it all on our own. Galatians 2 and 20 through 21 says, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless yet I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I can't do it by myself. Number 12, brought him to an end and took care of him. If the good Samaritan is Jesus and the wounded man is the world or the sinner, then the hotel must be the church. The inn is a place of healing. The inn is a place of health and shelter safety and security for those who have fallen among Satan's thieves in this life where they can be cared for and loved, amen, and treated with the word of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, amen. When Jesus brings people to us, he is leaving us to be responsible for them. Ephesians 4 and 32, Paul emphasizes it by saying, and be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sakes hath forgiven you. And the latter part of Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to know something, that the church is a place where the sinner can come in broken, where the sinner can come in wounded, where the sinner can come in, a man that has an infection in their life that is eating up their body and they need to be able to come in here and find a man that there's an innkeeper saying we'll take care of him, we'll buy the wounds. We'll pour in the wine and pour in the oil. Amen. That's what we're here for. I'm, I thank God that he bound up my wounds. I thank God that he poured in the oil and the wine. I thank God that he put me on his beast and, and his Holy Ghost has carried me this far. Amen. But God didn't save me to look pretty. God didn't save me to set me on a shelf as a mantle or a trophy. God saved me to get back out to the highway because there is somebody else 
us that is broken in sin. Our job isn't done when we are saved. It only begins because he calls us to be witnesses. He calls us to be gatherers. He calls us to be harvesters. Point 13, amen. How often have you heard point 13 and not been six hours in, amen. Thirteenth thing I want you to note about this is the Bible said, Jesus said, when he departed, he took out two pence. Now, two pence in the time of Jesus was roughly two days' wages. So the Samaritan left the innkeeper with enough resources to care for the man for at least two days. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so glad for the mercy of Jesus. I'm so glad for the grace of God because where sin doth abound, does grace much more abound. And, 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 and maybe, maybe, maybe you think I'm taking this next part too far, but, but Jesus said, uh, Brother Chase said he left two pence. That's two days' wages. Two days' wages. And then he told the innkeeper, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'm giving you two days wages. I'll be back. But he left us in this point with enough resources to take care of humanity's spiritual problems. When Jesus went away, he didn't leave us hopeless and helpless. He sent back his comforter. He sent back all the resources we're going to need in the Bible and in the spirit to say, whatever humanity is dealing with, I'm going to leave you with more than enough. I'm going to be gone. I'll be back in, I'll be back in two days. Maybe y'all think I'm stretching this a little bit too much and uh, maybe there's some theologian online that may crucify me for this and that's fine. Amen. We can debate it later. Well, not really because I'm not going to debate it. Amen. But 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The, the good Samaritan said, here's two days wages. I, I want you to take care of him for two days and I'll be back and I'll settle the bill. Amen. Jesus said I'm coming back but a pastor has been 2,000 years well one day with the Lord is a thousand years if it's been 2,000 years it's been two days and I think I can see the good Samaritan coming back down the road Oh, hallelujah. Jesus said, I'm coming back in an hour that you think not. I want you to take comfort. I want you to be of good courage. Jesus did not forget what the calendar's saying. Jesus did not forget that he said he's coming back. Amen. But if he said, I'll be back in two days, you can believe he's going to be back. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Number 14, Jesus said, take care of him. The Lord has placed his church in various ministries and ministers who are to care for those he brings in, wounded by the robbers of the world. The lives of these people are not always a pretty sight. It takes a lot of care to restore them to full health and strength. But that is our commission. That is our commission. Our commission is not merely to attend church on Sunday and jump and clap and run and dance and all of that's fine and wonderful. But our first calling is to bind up those that are wounded and to help heal them and restore them. Oh, I feel the presence of God here right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 says... And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. So many people now want ministries and they want titles. And, and I thank God this is not an issue here in our local uh, campuses. I thank God we got ministers, amen, that love the work of God and love the ministry of God and they're passionate about it. We don't got people jockeying for position. If they are, I, I know nothing about it. Don't want 
want to know nothing about it. Believe me, you don't want me to find that out. Amen. But we've got people that are passionate about the kingdom of God. Amen. God has given everybody in here a ministry, and it is the ministry of reconciliation. We need to reconcile sinners back unto God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our ministry. Reconcile the sinner back to God. Reconcile the sinner back to God. Take those that are lost so that they might become found. Go to the highways and the byways and compel them. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here right now stirring something in us. This afternoon, God is saying, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to reconcile. I'm calling you to love the lost. I'm calling you to reach out to the highways and to the byways. And then Jude's epistle, he says in verses 22 and 23, he says, and some, and some have compassion making a difference. There's more than one way to make a difference. Some have compassion. But then he says in verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Whichever avenue God chooses to use us in, the ultimate goal is we need to bring somebody into the hotel of the church of the living God. We need to bring somebody into the inn, amen, where they can be reconciled back unto God. Verse 15, and whatsoever thou spendest more, Jesus said, whatever you have to spend above and beyond what you spend. You see, sometimes, sometimes we consider the great personal cost uh, or sometimes when we consider the, the, the cost that it is personally to minister to others, it can seem to, to be a bit overwhelming. And if you've ever ministered to people personally, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever tried to make a disciple or in the discipleship process with somebody that has not been saved, they're on the, I want you to know it's a messy business. You, you know, gone are the days of the good sinners, you know. You know, they, they, they live in the perfect little three-bedroom house, and they got the white picket fence and 2.3 kids and upper middle class and no addictions and no problems. No, the world's a mess. It's a mess. And if it looks like that on the outside, you best beware of what's going on on the inside. Because people are in all kinds of trouble. One of the greatest, one of the greatest issues that we're having in the church is we think that once they come to the altar and give their life to Christ and are baptized and receive the spirit that, that okay, well, good luck. That, that, that. you to know God is going to repay it back to you. God will not be a debtor of any man. 
He's not going to be a debtor of any man. Amen. Peter asked the same question, and Jesus responded to him, and he said, uh, amen, uh, uh, in Mark chapter not, uh, chapter 10 and verses 29 through 30, and Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, uh, amen, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, uh, with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. In other words, Jesus is the good Samaritan giving you the guarantee that whatever you have to give up, he's going to give it back to you. Whatever time... Listen, I know we live in a stressed out world. I know we live in a stressed out society where we need our breaks and we need to decompress and we need our vacations. And if you know me, you know I say take them. You need them. Amen. And we need that time where where we need to be alone or whatever it is. Amen. But when God sends you a baby to be discipled, when God sends you into the harvest field, sometimes he's going to interrupt your reading time. Sometimes that new new convert is going to disrupt some things that are going on in your schedule. And what Jesus is saying is, whatever is messed up, whatever above and beyond, I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to repay you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured again unto you. And then point 16, Brother Lucas, as you come. He says, when I come again, I will repay thee. The good Samaritan promised that he would return and he would reward the innkeeper for his labor of love. He promised him, if you will do your part, when I come back, I'm going to do my part. If you'll take care of him, if you'll bind his wounds, if you'll keep watch over him. I don't know if you've ever taken care of somebody that, that's broken and, and, and hurting. You're not going to sleep very good. Amen. You're not going to sleep very good. you got somebody in the next room with broken ribs and broken bones. Every time, every time they move, every time they breathe, they're going to moan in discomfort. They're going to cry out in pain. No, no doubt that this, this man that had been beaten had concussions and, and wasn't thinking straight, and the pain was immense, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter because, because the Good Samaritan said, whatever you've been put out, I'm going to give it. I'm going to, I'm going to repay you. I'm going to put it back. You don't have to worry on whether or not you're going to be left in a deficit because when I come back, I am going to return it back unto you. And John 14 and 3, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare you a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. In other words, what Jesus was saying is I'm going to repay. I've got something prepared for you in the eternal. I've got eternal life prepared for you. I want to encourage somebody right now Amen. Maybe you're thinking, I don't got time to do this. I don't got time to be involved in outreach ministry. Or I don't got time to open up my home for home Bible studies. And it's not because you're a bad person. And it's not because you don't love the things of God. You just look at your life now and say, where am I going to squeeze in an extra 30 minutes or an hour? I, I want to do that. I want to be a disciple maker. I, I want to be that good Samaritan. I want to be that innkeeper. But I just don't know that I have the time nor the talent or the treasure to be able to do this. I want you to know something. Amen. The good Samaritan, far as I could tell, didn't even ask the innkeeper. He said, just take care of him. And whatever you're out, I'm going to repay it. I want you to know that if Jesus shows up at your house, amen, if he shows up at your house with the wounded man, if he shows up at your house with somebody broken and bleeding, if he shows up at your house with somebody that's bruised and wounded, if he shows up at your door with somebody that's in need of care. He's only showing up because he knows you've got what it takes. 
to take care of this person that has been broken. I want you to know this afternoon, if your life has been broken and is in shambles, amen, if you are the man that was left beside the road, I want you to know you are at the right inn. You are at the right hotel. You are at the right place where the grace and the love of Almighty God can bind up the wounds of sin. He can pour in the oil and the wine. I want to encourage somebody this afternoon, you don't got to leave here with festering sores. You don't got to leave here with open wounds. Amen. But you can leave here today with the touch and the help of the good Samaritan. That is Christ. You can leave here with the hand of God on your life, binding up those wounds. Would you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I feel the presence of God in this place right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. You see, God is is getting us ready for those that are going to be brought in, broken and wounded. I said to somebody the other day, the two most disinfected places two most sterile places you'll probably go to is a a delivery room and a mortuary. Remember when I went to work in a funeral home 20-something years ago and they were taking me on a tour and they took me in the mortician's room. It was like walking into a surgery center. Everything was so sterile. And I even commented. I said, wow. Man, it's pretty clean in here. And and I jokingly said, mistakenly joking, I found out morticians have like little sense of humor. Their sense of humor is kind of dead. Anyway. <clears throat> I said, well, man, this is like a, it's like a surgical center. I said, what, you afraid you're going to give them something? Afraid you're going to infect them and I'll never forget, the undertaker looked at me and he goes, oh, it's not about them getting infected. It's about us getting infected. In the delivery room, it's not about the doctor or the nurse getting infected. It's about the baby getting infected. See, the living can infect the newborn. But the dead can infect the living. we've watched God take us through a season of cleaning up and cleaning out and a sterilization that goes on because he knows there's been some on the highway side broken that Jesus is about to bring into this inn that he's about to bring into this house going to take more than a Wednesday night and a Sunday afternoon to bind up the wounds. It's intensive care. It's long-suffering. It's patience. Oh, I feel the touch of God in this place. Would you just lift your hands where you are right now and say, God, I want to be an innkeeper, Lord. (laughs) Lord, I, I want you to be able to trust me with those oh Lord that are broken in their sin and who are wrapped up in their shame oh God for those Lord that have been that have been abused by the enemy for those who have fallen among the thieves of the of their soul Lord I pray right now would you make me an innkeeper Lord would you purify my lips to speak words of life Would you purify my hands to bind up the wound, oh God? Oh, in the name of Jesus, I feel the touch of the Lord in this place. There's no coincidence that Brother Aber is coming on the heels of what we're feeling and what God has been doing in our church the last month and a half. There's no coincidence that God has brought him in at this time. God is setting the stage for the innkeepers to go to the window. 
God setting the stage for the innkeeper to clean out the cobwebs. Amen. Because there's delivery rooms about to happen. Amen. There are babies about to be born into the kingdom. There are wounds that are about to be bound up. There are, there are brokenness that God's about to heal. There are bruises that are about to be liberated. In the name of Jesus, that's it. Go ahead. Right where you are, just begin to call out to the Lord. Just begin to tell him, yes, Lord, make me an innkeeper. Yes, Lord, make me an innkeeper. Lord, I'm willing. If you, you can take my hands and my feet, God. You can use me, Lord. That's what I want to be is that innkeeper. I want to be that good Samaritan. I want you to use me, Lord, in spite of myself, in spite of my own failures and my own shortcomings. Lord, I know you've called me to be a witness in this lost and dying world. Hallelujah. Whatever you whatever your issue is, I want you to know it's not bigger than God. Whatever your problem is, it's not bigger than God. If you're just willing, if you're willing to let the good Samaritan pick you up right now, he don't want to leave you where you are. He don't want to leave you struggling with anxiety and depression and fear. He don't want to leave you writhing in the pain of your past and brokenness. He wants to lift you today. He wants to pour in the oil and the wine. Yes, Lord. I feel God calling some innkeepers right now. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.